When I was, uh, when I was growing up, uh, my family uh, moved around a lot. And that meant uh, that I was always the new kid in school. Have you ever been the new kid in school? I remember when we moved to Riverside, uh, we actually moved up to Woodcrest, but there were no schools up there in, in that day, 1976. I was 13 years old, uh, going into the eighth grade, headed for Gage Middle School. I can't think of many things worse than being the new kid in junior high. We moved in the summer, and I did, uh, <clears throat> I did make one friend in, in the neighborhood, same age, but he already had a group of friends at school. And so on that first day, uh, during lunch, as I tried to be included in this group of friends, uh, one of them looked at me and said, why are you following us? And with great wit, I said, I'm not following you, you're following me. (laughs) And with that, they all, including the friend I had, made that summer, turned around and, and walked away from me. I was left standing alone, feeling foolish and sad. Aw. You don't have to feel too bad for me. I eventually was included in a group of friends. I wasn't sad for the rest of my junior high life. A happy ending for me. But the point of the story, besides trying to gain your sympathy for me, is to show that we human beings, kids and all the way to adults, uh, we long for inclusion, right? We want to be included in something. And in our text today, we'll see that as, uh, that as and I believe, I, I don't know everyone here, but those I do I, uh, are, uh, are Gentile Christians. As Gentile Christians, we're included in a very important group. As the title of the sermon states, we are included in true Israel. And this has some major ramifications for us. We might, okay, I knew that. I think I've heard that before. But I I want us to see that it has some, it's important. The fact that we're included in in Israel is relevant to how we see God, to how we see other people, and how we see ourselves. So I'm going to break our time into three parts. First, we need to review. We need to give the context. We need to catch people up uh, to, to where we are. Uh, then second, we're going to look at the verses that Julia just read, specifically 24 through 29. She backed up a little bit. I had her back up a little bit just to give some context and flow there. And finally, we'll see how these verses are relevant to us. So let's begin with a review. Romans chapter 9, in verse 3, back up to verse 3, we see the problem that sort of set this chapter in motion. Why is Paul writing about this? We, we got the first eight chapters, we got the gospel, we got where uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God, the crescendo there, and then we move into this, this thing, this problem. Uh, what about the Jews, sort of? Paul writes, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Many of Paul's Jewish kinsmen were not trusting in Christ as their Savior, their Messiah. And because of that, they had become accursed and cut off from Christ. And this created a question about the promises of God. If, if members of this covenant people, the Jews, Israel, could, could be accursed and cut off from Christ, how can God's promises be trusted? Didn't God in the Old Testament promise blessing and, and salvation to Israel? And if God's word had failed in the case of the Jews, 
then how can we Christians trust in His promises for us? How can we really know uh, that what Paul wrote in Romans 8 is true? How can we believe that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ? And so in Romans 6, I mean, excuse me, 9, verses 6 through 13, Paul answers this question. In verse 6, he writes, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. That's key right there, and we'll go back to that. For not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. No, the word of God, the promises of God have not failed. Why? Because the ones who will inherit these promises, Israel, is not made up of every physical descendant of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And what we see here is that there are two Israels. There's a physical Israel, physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and there's another Israel. We have and will continue to call this true Israel. And, it, 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 and its makeup is a bit mysterious at this point. Who is true Israel? It certainly includes some phys- of physical Israel, but not all. And it's only true Israel that will inherit the promises of God. Paul goes on to defend this, uh, this idea with Old Testament examples. Two examples. First, the example of Isaac and Ishmael, both physical sons of Abraham to whom God came to, to whom God chose in, the, in the, 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 the beginning. But only Isaac received the promises of God. And to this, Paul concludes in verse 8, chapter 9, this means that it is not the children of the flesh, the physical descendants who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. In other words, God is not bound by physical descent. If you're physically descendant from Jacob, you're not automatically part of true Israel. He counts as children of the promise those whom he pleases. And he makes that even more clear with the example of Jacob and Esau, both sons of Isaac, Abraham, their grandfather. But God chooses only Jacob to receive his promises. And in verse 11, we're told why God acts this way. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. Because of Him who calls. God acts this way. He chooses Jacob over Esau, not because of anything they had done or they would do. It wasn't because of their work. It was so God's purpose of election might continue. So, so the beneficiaries of God's promises, those who are included in true Israel, is not based on who their father or their mother is. It's not based on their ethnicity. It's not based on who they are. And it's not based on their works, what they do or will do. But it's based on God's choice, God's call. And it's for God's purposes. Paul then, in verses 14 through 23, answers two questions that are brought up by this truth. The truth that the recipients of God's promises, those included in true Israel, and ultimately those who are saved, is based solely on God's choice. The first question comes in verse 13, and it's about justice. Um, Excuse me, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? 
And Paul's immediate answer, by no means. Paul goes on to show that being included in true Israel, being chosen by God, and receiving God's promised salvation is not about justice, it's about mercy. If God were only just, if God were to be just, no one would be included. The group would be an empty set, if you will, if you, if you know the math stuff. No one would receive the promises. No one would be saved. But because God is both just and merciful, some are chosen to receive His promises. Some are included in true Israel. Some, but not all, will be saved. And that brings up a second question, verse 19. You will say to me then, why does, uh, does he, God, still find fault? For who can resist his will? If inclusion in true Israel, receiving God's promises and being saved is not about, uh, is not about us, what we do, but it's all about God's choice, then why blame those who are not chosen? Well, I think if you go back up to the answer in the first place, you'll re- realize that the, the first answer to that is because you're to blame. We're to blame. we all to blame. God is not choosing, uh, you're going to be good people and you're going to be bad people. We're all sinners. And so, it's only because of His mercy that any of us are saved. But then He gives two other answers. He provides two other uh, answers, maybe. First, why does God still blame? First, who are you to question God, Paul says. He's your creator. He's the ruler. He's the potter. We're the clay. He can, perf- he, he can therefore do what he wants with anyone he wants in any way he wants. We have no right to question God. A little uncomfortable, but that's the answer. Second, Paul says that he has allowed some to remain outside of true Israel. He calls these vessels of wrath. And he's chosen some to be part of true Israel. He calls these vessels of mercy. And he does this to reveal to the world, to make known his wrath and his power and his riches and glory. This story, from the beginning, is not about us. It's about God. And He will do as He wills to reveal Himself to the world. So so that's the answer, and that's the review. Now let's turn to our text for today. And what we find right away is the diversity of Israel. The diversity of true Israel. Now what we need to see, beginning in verse 24... Uh, Paul is really picking up from what he, from where he left off in verses six through thirteen, verses fourteen through twenty-three. What we've seen over the past two weeks were, in a sense, a, a parenthesis, answering questions of God's justice that were brought up by verses six and thir- six through thirteen. But in verse fourteen, Paul, I'm getting all these numbers, verse twenty-four, Paul returns to his main point. So let's make sure we see the connection between verse 24 and what Paul said earlier. Remember in verse 6 he wrote, For not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. In other words, the point is that only some from physical Israel are included in true Israel. Now notice how verse 24 repeats that and takes it a step farther. For context, let's back up to verse 23. God chooses vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy, verse 23, in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, 
which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, verse 24, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. But also from the Gentiles. This is going to be a lot of our focus today. So who are these vessels? They're the ones God has called, chosen uh, not to receive his just wrath, but to receive his love, loving mercy. That takes us back to verse 11. The example of Jacob and Esau where Paul explains, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. The point here, and the point throughout this passage, is that there are two groups of people. Paul has uh, talked about them, referred to them in different ways. Physical Israel, Uh, And then we added true Israel, because there's clearly a distinction there. Children of the flesh versus children of the promise. Those uh, God has mercy on versus those he hardens or allows to go their own way. Vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor, vessels of mercy, vessels of, uh, of wrath. And the difference in these two groups is marked only by the fact that God chooses, God calls one, and does not choose, does not call the other. And now in verse 24, we're given more information on who God calls, this second group. Even us, whom he's called, who's that? Not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. God calls people from the Jews, that's the same point, He made back in verse 6, some but not all who are descended from Israel are included in true Israel. Yes, some of the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are part of true Israel. God chooses some Jews to receive mercy. But then Paul goes further, verse 24, and says that not only are some called from Jews, but also from the Gentiles. This is something he hasn't said yet. Hasn't, I mean, the, the, sort of the whole uh, theme of this chapter begins with, what about the Jews? What, what's going on there? And now he, he finally gets to the Gentiles, and, and that's going to be important next week when we look at uh, sort of the difference uh, between G- the Jews and the Gentiles there. But, but for now, he did say this earlier in the letter, though, specifically in chapter 4 where he talks about the fact that Abraham is the father of the circumcised Jews who have faith and the uncircumcised Gentiles who have faith. Now he makes it clear again that Gentiles are included with both Jews and true Israel. So the point of verse 24 is that true Israel, uh, vessels of mercy, vessels of honor, children of the promise, uh, include some Jews, though not all, as the Jews thought, But true Israel also includes many Gentiles, which was a surprise to many. And the rest of the paragraph, verses 25 through 29, is uh, Old Testament support for these two statements. Many Jews thought that God had not only chosen all of physical Israel, but rejected all of non-physical Israel. That God had chosen all Jews and rejected all Gentiles. But that is not the case. Gentiles are included. And some Jews are included. And Paul shows this from Old Testament scriptures. First, he shows that Gentiles are included. In Romans chapter 9, 25, 26, Paul quotes from the prophet Hosea, where God is saying to the people of Israel, 
that after he's cast them off, after he's rejected them uh, and made them no people, he will again call them his people. As indeed he said in Hosea, this is Romans 9, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not my beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Hosea prophesied in a, in a time when physical Israel was in rebellion against God. A time when God had rejected them uh, for their disobedience, for their idolatry, for their really rejection of Him. They were not my people. They were not beloved. But they will again be my people and my beloved. They will again be sons of the living God. And Paul takes this uh, rejection and restoration of physical Israel and applies it to why God will include Gentiles in true Israel. This is his reasoning. If Jews were really uh, no people and could be declared my people, then Gentiles who were no people can also be declared my people. Gentiles were uh, a no people. They had not received the promises, the covenant of God, but now God has chosen to save some from among the Gentiles. Gentiles can now be part of God's covenant people. So Paul shows that Gentiles are included in true Israel, and then he shows that not all Jews are included. Paul supports this in verses 27 through 29 by quoting Isaiah chapter 10, 23, and 119. He writes, And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Notice the point, only some of Israel will be saved. This is Isaiah. Old Testament. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left an us offspring, notice the point again, God is in control. He's the one who left us offspring. God is the one who calls forth this remnant from among the Jews. And if He had not called, we, Jews, would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. The only reason that any Jews are saved is because of God's work. God left them an offspring. Otherwise, their fate would have been the same as Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham, God's first chosen one, if you will, didn't want God to destroy the cities because his nephew Lot lived there. So Abraham bargained with God, if, if there are 50 righteous, if I can find 50 righteous, you, you won't destroy the city, right? What, what about 45? What about 30? What about 20? He gets all the way down to 10. If there are 10 righteous, will you spare the, the cities? But there weren't 10 righteous people in the land. In fact, none were righteous. And therefore all, save Lot and his family, who were not righteous, but who were called out, Everyone else was destroyed. The cities were destroyed. So the point of both of these Old Testament passages is that God creates His people by calling, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And in both cases, it's a surprise. The Jews thought they were all included because they were Jews, and the, and the Jews and the Gentiles thought they were not included because they were Gentiles. The Gentiles weren't even thinking about this, really. The Jews, no, you're Gentiles. You're not included. And what that means, I think John Piper puts it well, God is gathering a redeemed people 
in a way that will stop the mouth of all presumption and will give hope to the most despairing. So that's our text for today. Now let's look at its, its relevance, the relevance of being included in true Israel. This passage and, and, and what we've already seen in Romans 9 is relevant uh, to our vision, to our perspective, to how we see things around us and, and how we see things impacts uh, how we feel about them, how we uh, think about them, and how we act regarding them. And, and so I want to point out how this passage should impact three major areas of vision. How it can and should change our perspective. Uh, give us clarity and focus. So first, this passage must impact our vision of God. I won't spend a lot of time with this because we've sort of uh, hammered this home over the past couple weeks, but I, but I don't want to skip it. Because our vision of God is foundational to who we are and to how we live. And in these verses, we again see that God sovereignly chooses who will be part of true Israel. We see that, uh, that as Gentiles, God sovereignly chooses us to be part of Israel. In verse 24, notice uh, Paul makes it clear that even us, he's speaking of himself, he's speaking of the, the, the Christian world, whom he's called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. God is the instigator. God is the one who calls those that form true Israel. He's forming a people for himself. He, he, he has made us Gentiles who are not his people to be his people. He's made us who are not beloved like, uh, uh, like Jacob to be loved. He's made us sons of the living God. God, not you, not me, but God has done this. The reason that you've received, uh, I'm speaking to you as a believer, to those who are believers, the reason that you've received grace and mercy and love, the love of God, is because you're called. Because He called you out of darkness into the light of Jesus Christ. And remember the promise given in, verse, uh, in chapter 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he's also glorified. What this means is that, that, that believers in Christ are first predestined by God. It's a work of God. Then they're called by God. And then we are justified by faith in the one who called us. And assure as sure as that has taken place in your life, you will also be glorified by God. One day, we will see Jesus Christ face to face and we'll be like Him. We'll be transformed fully to be like Him. And it's all a work of God. It's God who rules in our salvation. It's not us. And so in humility, taking no credit for ourselves, we, as the author of Hebrews writes, are looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the founder, the one who calls. Some, some translations say the, the author. He, he wrote it down the author, and the perfecter. He's the one who will glorify us. He's responsible from beginning to end for your faith. I don't know about you, but this causes me to experience uh, 
It's a major gratitude that God has chosen. He's called me and included me in true Israel that I might receive uh, the inheritance of His glorious promises. The riches of His glory are mine. He called me from unbelief to faith, from death to life. He looked upon me in my sinful deadness and said, Live. And in Christ, I'm made alive. And this is true for all who He has called, all who respond to Him in faith. Jesus Christ is the founder and perfecter of your faith. Therefore, our lives must uh, be spent... I mean... This is obvious, but I think we need to hear it again and again and again. Jesus Christ is the founder and perfecter of your faith. And, and your, it's because of your faith that you have all that you have. Therefore, our lives must be spent rejoicing Him, glorifying Him, honoring Him, serving Him, living for Him, dying if necessary for Him. So this passage is, is relevant to our vision of God, and our vision of God is relevant to every aspect of our life. But it's not just relevant to how we see God, it's also relevant to, uh, to our vision of other peoples. Other peop- what did I put up there? Peoples. Plural. That's what I meant to do, but sometimes I don't always do what I mean to do. This is such a crucial thing for us to see. We need to see it as we reach out to internationals at UCR. And we see it not just here, but throughout Scriptures. It's clear from Romans 9 that God does not call every single person. But God does call both uh, from both Jews and Gentiles. He calls from among all peoples. As Paul made clear in Romans chapter 9, verses uh, 4 and 5, if you think back to that, and I'm not going to read it, but the Jews are an ethnic people with great privileges. Remember some of those privileges? The law, the covenants, the worship. But God does not just call from the ethnically privileged. When God saves sinners, when God builds His church, He does not choose all of the ethnically privileged, the Jews. Instead, He calls some But he also calls many from the not my people. Those who did not have the same privileges that the Jews did. And in doing this, uh, God makes it clear that he does not base his blessings on race or ethnicity. Again, John Piper writes, God is going to save people in a way that breaks the pride of the privileged and overcomes the despair of the outcast. Ethnic envy and ethnic arrogance are excluded. And if this is how God works to build His kingdom, then there is no place in His church for discrimination based on race or ethnicity. Because God chooses from among all peoples, Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles, uh, in case you don't know, is the Greek word ethnos. Uh, it's an ethnic group. It's, 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 it's the nations. It's those that are not Jews. It's those out there. In other places in the New Testament, it's translated nations or peoples. We could read uh, Romans 9.24 like this, Even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from among the peoples. God is calling people from among the peoples. He's casting a wide net. 
Don't think that God's heart is narrow or confined because in verse 27 he says, only a remnant of Israel will be saved. No. Read the rest of Romans. In Romans 11.25, Paul will tell us, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. And we'll talk about that when we get to Romans 11. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all of Israel will be saved. Wow. God has fullness in mind for the nations, and He has fullness in mind for Israel far greater than we're seeing today. So let us rejoice that we are included in true Israel. Uh, the children, we are the children of God. We're, we're vessels of mercy. But let us have no arrogance, no pride in that fact, no clickishness like I experienced in junior high. If we see someone uh, different from us, following us because we follow Christ, even if they're not like us, don't turn and say, why are you following me? Instead, invite them. Invite them into the be included in the group that you belong to. Let us take the Gospel of Jesus Christ to all peoples. For God is preparing for Himself a very diverse community of worshipers. I mean, that that could be a summary of, of the Bible, I think. God is preparing for Himself a diverse community of worshipers. The book of Revelation gives us insight. I mean, we get, we get to look at the end. I'm not making this stuff up. John in a, is given a vision of heaven and he writes, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is what God is preparing. This is what uh, God desires. And this should impact our vision of all peoples. God is preparing for Himself uh, a people, a bride. So may our hearts not be narrow or uh, confined in our mercy, in our witness, in our mission. Let us see as God sees and open our hearts to His vision for all peoples. Let us give ourselves to declaring and rejoicing in and showing the, the wideness of God's mercy to all people. So, so, so we have... so Full stop, period. Okay. So we've seen how this passage impacts our vision for God. Now I'm hoping it's impacting our vision for peoples. Now let's look at how this uh, passage is relevant for our vision for ourselves. You know, when you get included in, a, in something, it, it often changes how you feel. I remember I, I was in high school, uh, senior in high school, I played on the varsity football team, and uh, it was near the end of the season when they do the voting for uh, all league. It's like, I think our league had eight teams, you're the best at your position. And I remember earlier I had asked my, the defense, I was a defensive back, I'd asked my coach, I said, uh, any chance? And he said, no, not really, don't, don't be stupid. <laughs> really, he said that. Uh, 
Because, you know, I was, I was sort of, you know, I'd only played football my junior and senior years. I was sort of learning a little bit. And on the other side, so I was the left cornerback. And on the other side, the right side, where most of the passing occurs, the right quarterback was a guy named Kenny Wagner. He had 16 interceptions. That's a lot. Uh, I had two, you know. He's going to be all league. He's obviously no surprise there. So the day came, and I had just forgot about it. The day came when they had voted like the night before, and I'm walking down to the, the gym, and I, I run into Kenny, and he goes, uh, I, here's what I heard. He, he, I heard, uh, I, made, I made all league. And I go, uh, duh, you know, of course you did. Uh, and, and he goes, no, you made all, I go, no way. I didn't believe him. I go, you're, you're, I don't know what I said. I didn't say you're yanking my chain. That's, that's, I wouldn't said that to him. But anyway, uh, we were friends. We weren't that close though. But anyway, uh, so I go down to the gym and it was posted and there was my name. I had to all, everybody's surprise. (laughs) You know, I had, I had made all league. And so that just changed how I felt about myself in many ways. In fact, you know, we still had the playoffs coming. It made me a better player. I go, these people, you know, I was a little insecure. I mean, I'd played eight games or so. I, I don't know. I was still a little insecure. I was still worried. Every game before the every game before the game started, the coach, my defensive back coach, would come to me and he would go, you know, on that side is uh, Kenny Wagner. He he's got 16 interceptions. Over here is you. Uh, where do you think they're going to pass the ball? Your side or his side? Okay, coach, I got it. Thank you very much. And so, so, but, but being included, uh, then the playoffs came and I just had this new confidence about playing football. I mean, not that that's all that big of a deal, but it was for me at the time. And so anyway, being included in, in a group, and, and that's what we find out here, that we are included in true Israel. And it's a much bigger deal than being all league in, but I was in the same group as Kenny Wagner. That's what I want to tell you. Now he became all county and all CIF. I stopped at all league. I just want to say that. Uh, Paul tells us, even us, whom he's called, not from Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. That means that true Israel are those who God calls from among the Jews and Gentiles. Uh, I hope that's clear now. And so if you're part of that called community of believers, then you're part of true Israel. You're part of true Israel. Your name is on the sign-up, the the list there. Uh, No voting, God called you in. And what this means, among other things, is that you can uh, lay claim to the the many precious promises of the Old Testament. This should open a whole door to you, if you hadn't realized this before. Promises given to Israel. Just one example. You have the right, as a, a Gentile Christian believer to quote Isaiah 41.10, which is addressed specifically to Israel. Fear not, for I am with you. Do Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Some would say this passage only applies to Israel. And I would agree. But as Gentile Christians, you are part of true Israel. And therefore, you have the right to read uh, this and many other promises given to Israel in the Old Testament as if God is giving them to you. 
And seeing that about yourself is very important. You, those who are chosen, called, vessels of mercy, are included in true Israel. And, and as Paul said in verse 23, chapter 9, God has chosen you in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He prepared beforehand for glory. God is revealing the, the riches of His glory, not just to you, but for you. As vessels of mercy you've received, you receive the riches of His glory, which certainly includes uh, the promises uh, like Isaiah 41.10, the promises of God's Word in the Old Testament. And if you think I'm stretching this a bit, look back at verses 6 and 8. 6 through 8, sorry. For not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. The children of the promise. And then in verse 24, Paul makes it clear that Gentiles are included here. Included in what? Being offspring. Being children of God. uh, Being in Israel. the, the, The true Israel, which means you're children of the promise. That is what Paul's saying in verse 24. By faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Gentiles are included now in true Israel. You are an Israelite. That's why we can take the precious promises of the Old Testament Jewish Bible and claim them for our own. The covenant between uh, given to Abraham, uh, given to Moses, the covenant given to David are ours because we're now covenant people through Jesus Christ, our Messiah. So say with the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. How I love the Old Testament Scriptures. It is my meditation all the day. See yourself in the proper light as part of true Israel. And don't, and don't look at the Old Testament as some uh, dusty old part of the Bible that I, I you know, I'm just going to stick with the, the, the New Testament. I like particularly the red letters. You know, that's where I find what I need. You've got a whole... Two-thirds, at least. You know, if you see, there's a lot. There's a lot there for you. Read it, meditate on it, memorize it, appropriate it, apply it to your life. It's full of treasures for you. So I hope and I pray that your vision has been impacted this morning, that, that you've gained clarity and perspective, that you can see what it, what it means that God has sovereignly chosen and called you. And that God is calling many others from all peoples to be vessels of mercy, to be included in true Israel, to receive all His precious promises, to be showered with His riches and glory. And, and just one other final note. If, if you haven't, you know, ha- you go, well I, well, I don't know, am I chosen or not? Well, here's how you find out. You receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith. So if you're sitting here and you're going, and you want this, you want the riches of God to be bestowed on you, today you can, you can have that by trusting in Christ. That's what God calls you in, and maybe you're hearing His voice even now. And He's calling you to be part of true Israel, to be His children, to experience His riches and glory.
And so as Tom comes to lead us in communion this morning, as we remember, as we celebrate Jesus Christ, as we remember His broken body, His spilt blood, let us see clearly that it's through Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we can be called by God to be included in true Israel. All of this is made possible through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Amen? Tom? As I listen to Cliff preaching through the book of